Well, once again, good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We are so glad that you could be here at First Baptist and be a part of what's going on, whether here in person or online. I just want to clarify that when Tim said you didn't need to listen, that that time has passed, okay? Now we need to pay attention to what's going on. <laughs> I love that. Don't listen to me. Sarah's probably like, already done been there, buddy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, we do hope that you'll join us in getting involved. We are very excited about being able to have a presence uh, this year at Oktoberfest, and we hope that if you haven't already volunteered to get involved with us, that you will. It's going to be a good time, and beyond um, the money that it will bring into the church, it's good for us to, to show that we are engaged and we're, we're getting involved in what the community is doing, that we're investing in what's important here in Seymour and what makes Seymour Seymour, and Oktoberfest is part of that. So uh, we hope you'll get out there and be a part of it, and even if you're not coming and volunteer, volunteering, come buy our stuff, all right? Because uh, we don't want to have 50 million of them when we're done, because uh, I will get way fat. But we are glad that you're here with us. We do want to remind all of the students grade 6 through uh, 12 that... The attic is back on, so we will have youth group again uh, tonight and every week following. Uh, so join us tonight here in the Fellowship Center, and uh, we will look forward to having you there for a great time of, of hanging out and getting to know one another and worship. So join us this evening for the attic. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we turn our attention now to the Word of God. Father God, we do thank you for your goodness and your grace that you've given us so freely. Lord, we thank you that... In the midst of the struggles and trials of life, Lord, that you continue to strengthen us, to encourage us, uh, to give us what we need to continue following and serving you as you would so desire in this world. Lord, we just pray that you would be with us as we look at your truth, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that we would hear not just the words that are spoken from this stage, Lord, but the words that your spirit is seeking to impress upon our hearts, Lord. I pray that, that you would help us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. Lord, inspire us, encourage us, fill us with the power and presence of your spirit that we might be your ambassadors your field hands in the world in which we live. God, speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So after last week's message, I, I was talking to, to Sean Malone, one of our members who was here for the previous message, and Sean just was like, uh, it's okay, buddy, You're, don't worry, nothing bad this week. But as we, were, as we were talking, Sean said, hey, man, so we went home, and I was thinking about some of the things from the message, and I opened my Bible, and I was looking, and you know, chapter 10 is not awesome. And he's like, that's kind of rough. He's like, are you going to go on to that next week? And in the moment, I said, no, I'm not. That's not the plan. And then I went home and began looking at it, and I thought to myself, well, maybe we should. Maybe, maybe, maybe last week's message is incomplete without the following. And I think it is, right? Because last week we were looking at, at chapter 9 where Jesus says, hey, look, he's looking out and he has compassion. His heart breaks for those around him, and he, he looks out and he tells, he tells his disciples, hey, the... The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray, therefore, that the Lord will send workers out into the harvest. And we ended last week by going into chapter 10, the first few verses, where Jesus stops the praying cycle of the apostles and goes into the sending. 
giving the clear idea that, that prayer is not where it's supposed to start. That, that, to stop, excuse me. That, that it doesn't just end with us seeing, oh yeah, there's great need in the world. There, there's need for people to preach the gospel. There's need to, for people to care for the needs and, and to, to, as Jesus did, to teach, to preach, and to, to heal and to care for the physical realities that people are facing. That it's not enough to stop with words. That we ourselves... The servants of Jesus Christ, the disciples of Jesus, are the stewards that are being sent out into the field. We are, as Jesus says, or as Matthew tells us here in Matthew chapter 10, we are the sent ones. As we ended last week, I said that every believer should be a missionary for Jesus. That, that all of us are missionaries. And First Baptist Church just serves as a sending platform. This isn't a fortress where we come and hide. It is a place where we come and are equipped in order that we might be sent. And Jesus, as he goes on into chapter 10, lays out some instructions and some warnings as he sends his disciples out into the field. I started wondering to myself, like, what does it look like? Because Jesus uses the gardening imagery, right? Like that's going out into the field, the farming imagery that, that we're going out into the field. That, that we're going, and it's an imagery that Jesus uses a lot. That living in an agrarian society, Jesus is often talking about uh, the fruit that is being produced by the plant. He's often, often comparing people to plants or trees. That they, uh, good fruit, bad fruit, depending on, on what's being planted or what seed is received. He talks about going and spreading the seed on, on the soils and the different kind of soils that are receiving it. And it got me thinking about actually gardening. It's not something that I enjoy. Any enjoy keeping gardens? Yeah? You know what part of gardening I enjoy? I enjoy the part where the season is over and I take the mower and go over it. That is, that is my favorite part of the season. And you might think to yourself, well, don't you enjoy eating the vegetables? No, not for the amount of work that it takes. So absolutely not. I would much rather go down to your JC or Walmart, and they've got vegetables there that someone who knew what they were doing planted and took care of for you. And I think sometimes that's our desire as followers of Christ. We want some professional to do it. We want some professional to, we, we think that, that, that the, the work of the gospel is limited to those who have specific training, but we don't see that in the gospels. As a matter of fact, here, this is pretty early in, in Jesus' ministry, and Jesus has done some things, he's shown some things. Remember, the book of Matthew, I realize that we're in chapter 10, and it's 28 chapters long, but remember, Jesus ch- preached a three-chapter long sermon, right? Sermon on the Mount is not short. And here we are just a couple of chapters after that. We've got a brief, a brief introduction to how Jesus' ministry went. And we're going to talk about that in a moment here. And then Jesus tells his disciples, here are some instructions. You go do it yourselves. You've seen me do it. Now you go do exactly what I've done. So let's look at Matthew chapter 10. And let's see what Jesus has to say to us and to his followers about how we're to serve him in the field. Starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, 
Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worthy of their keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it'll be more tolerable or bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among the wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before the governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the member of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, 
And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. So Jesus has a long list of of encouragements. and That's the wrong word because it's not very encouraging for the most part. But he gives us instructions. He gives instructions to his disciples that kind of frames out how, not just how the work is going to go and the difficulty that will be faced along the way, but some, some rules for the road, if you will, of how they are to start the work and what it will look like for them. I think these are important for us this morning, so let's walk through them. The first is that we have to start where we are and use what God gave us. Start where you are and use what God gave you. When we think of mission work, when we think of mission work, we think of missionaries, which is right, which is true. But, but the image that we have in mind, or, or I'll speak for myself, the image that I have in mind came from, from all of the missionaries that came into my church when I was a kid. Mission, mission conferences. It was men and women who spent their lives over in foreign countries, flying planes and landing in remote villages, people that learned foreign languages, people that, that didn't know how to dress with American style or color coordination. This is what I thought of when I thought of missionaries. I thought of people that went to far off lands and lived in weird and strange ways and ate weird and strange foods and shared the gospel with people in remote jungles who would never hear it otherwise. And that, in fact, is a missionary. I mean, those are the hardliners, right? And the truth is that we need to understand that 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 is something that all of us are called to, to go into all the world. But all of us are not called to leave our own community. And, And one of the things that jumps out at me is Jesus starts them right where they are. He says, hey, look around you. And, and is that not what Jesus himself did? I mean, he started in Galilee. It's like starting in his own county, if you will. He started in his own backyard. But beyond the, the starting point, what we need to notice is that, that Jesus himself had certain abilities. It, it may be hard for us or, or easy for us to dismiss some of the things that Jesus said, or even what maybe it was for his disciples. Maybe they turned him off as he was talking about some of these things because Jesus, Jesus is kind of next level, right? As J.J. likes to say, Jesus was built different. The life and ministry of Jesus were, were marked by divine power and authority. People always took notice. You can go back and look at the passages later, but if we look back in Matthew 7, verse 28, we see that Jesus spoke with authority. That the crowds were, quote, amazed by his teaching because he didn't just regurgitate what everybody had been saying and and all of the same old, same old. He didn't didn't just give high-minded ideals to push people to. And, And beyond that, it wasn't full of uncertainty. Jesus knew what he was talking about, and and he he was constantly laying it out. In Matthew chapter 5 through 7, once again, we see Jesus preaching what has to be the most famous sermon in history, the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 5, 
Jesus authoritatively challenged, just in chapter 5, Jesus authoritatively challenges long-held understandings of what the Bible says. Right? That, that's, that's, I think of it much like today, right? God said it, I believed it, that settles it, right? That, that the Bible tells me so, and, and a lot of times we, we say what the Bible says, a lot of times pulling it from our surface observations in our current context, but you've got to wonder at what points are maybe we missing some things, I mean, I'll be honest, there are things that I used to say that the Bible clearly said, and it wasn't until a professor once told me, is it that clear? I mean, if it was that clear, would we be having the argument in this theological forum, in this Bible school classroom right now? The answer is, it's really not always as clear as we'd like it to be. But, when Jesus says it, and when he's saying it with authority, there are certain things that are clear. And Jesus had no problem questioning the status quo. And Jesus, in the beginning of his ministry, you understand why people begin to not like him, particularly the experts. Because he's walking around, read, read the sermon, several times in Sermon on the Mount, five times Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. That's not a good way to make friends, right? Like, they said, but I'm telling you. They said, but I'm telling you, over and over again. Jesus constantly called people to a deeper understanding of God's love and application of God's truth. And it, it is revolutionary what Jesus was saying. I mean, it's just as scandalous today as it would have been then. Remember, Matthew, 20, Matthew chapter 5 is when Jesus is saying the, the things like, hey, you've heard it said that, that you shouldn't murder someone, right? That's Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and following. Jesus says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But Jesus says, I'm going to take it a step further. It's not just you shouldn't kill someone. That's obvious. But I'm going to tell you this. If you act or speak with someone with hate in your heart and in your words, you have already killed them in your heart. You're all murderers if you, if you act and respond with hate. It's just as if you murdered that person. Man, those are some strong words. He didn't stop there. He goes on. He says, hey, look, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit a murder, you should not commit adultery. But I tell you that if you look at another person lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. He goes on further. Hey, man, if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it out. If your hand, cut it off. Jesus is going hard, Right? Like, it's not just about what you do, it's about what you think. It's about what's going on inside your heart. It says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And you got to wonder if some people are going, amen, that's right. you got to give it back. Jesus says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. If anyone wants to take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus ends with, you have heard that it was said, love your, en love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those 
persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. That's just in chapter 5. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus turning the world, the theological and religious world on its head, saying it's not just about what you believe, but it is about what you do. You can know all the right things, but if it doesn't lead you to right action, you are wrong. Jesus authoritatively calls people to a deeper understanding and application of God's word. Spoke with authority. But Jesus also demonstrated supernatural authority to eliminate human suffering and shame. You can go around saying some of these audacious, huge things when you have miraculous power to back up the message of what you're doing. And, and, and we see that with Jesus, right? Everywhere Jesus goes, in chapters 5 through 7, right, Jesus speaking with authority, the, the importance of the words, Chapter 8 through 9 is Jesus establishing the supernatural power and authority that backs up his claims. He forgave sins. He healed all manner of physical ailments. He freed people from oppressive powers and spirits. He raised people from the dead and he drew outcasts close as dear friends. See, Jesus preaches about living a different life in chapters 5 through 7. And he preaches authoritatively about this different kind of life. And then we see in chapters 7 through 8, Jesus demonstrating the power of such deep living. Now before we get too far, we're going to talk about the power Jesus gives to his disciples. And I realize that most of us don't see the miracles happening today in the same way that they did in the Bible. But, but do we? Is the miracle just in the healing or is it in the outreach, in the compassion of the person reaching out? I mean, I would say, I would submit to you that the miracle of, of Jesus that we see in his followers even subsequent to his life is not just in the things that they are able to do through supernatural powers, but the supernatural grace that they demonstrate. It is them loving their enemies. It is them forgiving those that are persecuting them. It is them going out of their way to try to help people who are trying to hurt them. Is that not a manifestation of supernatural grace and power? But we see this in the life of Jesus, right? Jesus speaks with authority. Jesus touches and does things with his hands that demonstrates supernatural power and authority. But then we see Jesus shift in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 10. As Jesus gave that authority to his disciples. Look in verse 1 of chapter 10. It says, Jesus called his twelve to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Jesus sends his disciples out to do exactly what they'd seen him do. Jesus wasn't running a one-man show. His actions set an example he expected his disciples to follow. They were to share the work with him. They were to go do exactly what he'd done. Now, in his grace, Jesus didn't make them do it alone. Did you notice that everyone was paired up? He sent them out in partners, and we see the partners. you got to feel a little bit bad for Simon the Zealot and had to wonder how that worked. How did the, like... 
the partnership between the money-hungry betrayer and the zealot who wanted to kill everybody. How did that work out? I mean, that is an interesting partnership. Jesus doesn't tell us, but something for your own divine imagination there. But notice where Jesus instructs the disciples to start their work, right? He gives them this amazing power. He sends them out into the world as apostles. The word apostles means sent one. It's the only time it's used in the Gospel of Matthew is right here. That that these are Jesus' sent ones. And he gives them authority. Not authority to, to lord over people, but authority to use for the betterment of people and for the declaration of the Gospel. Where does he send them? Well, he sends them to right where they are. Jesus instructed the disciples to start their work right in their own backyard. Verse 5 tells us, Do not go out among the Gentiles or enter into any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Following the pattern of his own ministry, the disciples were to start in Galilee which was consequently where all of them were from. And it, we would liken it to, to Jesus sending us out into the context of Jackson and Bartholomew County. Hey, you see this region? This place where, where you know and the people that you know and the culture that you know and, and the communities that you know? Jesus says, start right there. Now, we might read this, and it hits a little funny, right? Jesus saying, hey, don't go to the Samaritans. Don't go out to the nations. It might make us think, well, maybe is Jesus hating on these people? Because they did hate them then, right? They thought of them as dogs, as worthless, as being unworthy of the truth of God's world. word. The gospel can and must go global, right? We know that Jesus eventually sends his disciples out into the world. But he starts. Does it not make sense that they would start right where they are? That you would learn and grow where you're planted? That you would scatter seed in the community that you live? If, if we are plants ourselves, what's, what's the old adage about uh, an apple, right? An apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? That, that apple can't sow its seed elsewhere. It's going to drop right where it is. It makes sense that the first place that, that we would saturate would be with the gospel would be the place that is within arm's reach. That's what Jesus sends his disciples to do. He's not hating on Samaritans or foreigners. The the literal wording says, Into the road of the nations go not, and into a city of the Samaritans go not. He's, He's just saying, hey, for right now, keep it to these streets. Keep it to these streets. Jesus didn't have a preferred people. He's just demonstrating good teaching methods. What we learn at home provides us with the skills to work out in the world. Acts 1.8 is the ultimate model. Jesus tells his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the utter ends of the earth. Even then, it has that that. that that conical shape, right, that target shape where it starts in Jerusalem, which consequently was where they were. And then it makes sense that you're going to go out from there. As you go out from Jerusalem, you're going to go into Judea, which is the surrounding region. And then when you keep going, you're going to get beyond that. You're going to go to Samaria, the surrounding nations that, that maybe have some connection but are a little different. But then you're going to take it to the ends of the world. This gospel is for everyone, but the starting point is always where we stand. 
Is that not profoundly true to you this morning? Does that not make sense that the place that you will first spread the gospel is where you find yourself in this moment? It's where you will be going tomorrow. It's where you will be working this week. That just makes sense. Jesus tells his disciples, start where you are. Start with what you know. And Jesus gives them the power. God gives us what we need so we can give our best for his glory and for the good of others. I think this is so important for us. That Jesus does not give these amazing abilities and powers and say, all right, now go hole up somewhere and protect yourself from the world. Jesus gives these amazing abilities and gifts to do these incredible things. And then he sends and scatters the disciples out into the community. You see, we've got to understand that. While we are the body of Christ and our gifts are for mutual edification, it is never exclusively for us. The gifts God gives us are always to be given for the sake of the gospel and the good of the world. Always. If it never extends beyond the community of faith, we have missed the point. We failed to understand why God gave us the gifts in the first place. Notice Jesus says, hey, freely you've been given. Freely give. The gifts and abilities God gives to us are not simply for our own personal edification and benefit. They are tools entrusted to us for the care of others and for the spreading of the seed of the gospel. Right? A, a, a shovel in a hoe does you no good if you keep it sitting in your garage. Right? It's actually a pain in the hind end. I'll tell you first place, first person, I spent a great deal of time removing cobwebs and nasty spiders yesterday because our tools didn't move. Those tools don't do any good if they stay inside the garage. At some point, they have to go out and you've got to get in the dirt. That's what Jesus is doing. He's like, here's the tools, now go out in the field. Jesus promises to provide them even, not just with the tools to do what needs to be done, but the words that need to be said. Sometimes there are no words. And that is one of the biggest things that I hear from people as we talk about spreading and sharing the gospel. I just, I just don't know what to say. I'm not trained like you. Let me tell you, there is nothing that gets me all up in my head and confused like being in a place where the gospel is needed. Even now, after all these years, I still feel inadequate to the task. That was clearly illustrated this week. I was called to do a funeral for an infant. And I walked into that that funeral home. And brothers and sisters, I did not know they made caskets that small. And I stood in the back of the room and I looked forward at the family whom I didn't know. And I just prayed, God, what do I say? What do you say in a moment like that? There are times where we just don't know what to say. There are times where words fail us and times where, where we have no idea. And I got to the front that, that afternoon to share some message hoping to give hope. The first thing out of my mouth was, I have no idea what to tell you right now. 
There are no words to describe the sorrow of this moment. And I left my notes behind, which I don't do. I speak from the notes. Everything I say is written in this iPad. And when I do a funeral or a wedding, every word I am going to say is there for me to read it because I am an emotional basket case. Which further makes me feel unqualified for the job. Nothing makes me feel like less of a pastor than standing before people who have just lost someone. And all I can do is offer that I feel bad with you. A good pastor is supposed to control their emotions. To keep things together and to help them see that there's a way past. And I get that you can shake your head, but until you've stood there, the feeling in that moment is terrible. And all I'm trying to illustrate to you is there are moments when you don't know what to say. And when those emotions kicked in and I had nothing to say, it was that moment that God pointed me to the gospel. Because that's all I had. God loves you. God loves your child. God cares about your hurt. And he has not abandoned you and he will walk with you through it if you will turn to him. And by grace through faith, one day you will step into the gates of heaven. And I believe that Jesus will hand you that baby. You can argue with me about the theological depth or truth of that. But I believe that that's the words that God put on my heart in that moment. And I believe that when we are faithful to stand in the gap and to say what needs to be said, that God will give us the words. Not just for me. My training gave me nothing in that moment. But Jesus says in those moments, the Spirit will tell you what to say. I'm telling you that it's true. Sometimes there are no words. But the good news of the gospel is that there is a spirit that will speak through you if you're willing to stand in and say what needs to be said. Jesus gives that authority and that task to the apostles. It is our job to share the truth and help those in need. It is our job to go out into the dirt, the dust, and the rocks of this dry, arid world and to bring the living water of the gospel and the seeds of salvation. That's our job. And the Spirit will provide us the ability, the strength, and even the words when we need them. Jesus tells the disciples, he warns the disciples that, hey, there's going to be times and places, though, where people won't hear it. Where they, don't, they won't want it. If the soil won't take the seed, there's a time to shake it off and find a new patch of ground. If the soil won't take the seed, shake it off and find a new patch of ground. We're called to freely offer God's grace to all who will hear it. To all who will receive it. Right? In verse 11 of chapter 10, Jesus tells his disciples to search for, quote, those who are worthy or deserving. Now, he isn't talking about, let's be clear about this. Jesus isn't telling us to look out in the world and to kind of analyze and and make a judgment call on whether or not we think a person is worthy to hear or receive the truth. We are not gatekeepers for the kingdom of God. Our job is not to say this person is good enough, this person doesn't make the cut. It is not our subjective job to say, based upon our own perception of their merits and their value, whether or not they deserve to hear the gospel. Our job is to scatter the seed and to trust that God will determine who receives it. We, we don't get to determine whether or not a person makes, a, makes the cut based on a certain standard of morality or civility. 
The words being used here about worthy are the, the most, it's the most base word that you can, you can have. The word worthy simply means find someone who's willing to receive it. That's it. That, that is the qualification for worthiness. The qualification, qualification for worthiness is not what they look like. It's not their education level. It's not their political affiliation. It's not them being the right kind of person to give the right perception about Jesus. It's none of that. It is, it, it is will they receive it? We must take care not to allow our personal preferences or perspectives to create a standard we use to determine who is good enough and who is not. Grace is by definition undeserved. And here is the truth for us this morning. We are quite literally all balls of dirt walking around. Am I wrong? Right? How, how did creation work? God himself knelt down into the dirt, pulled up some dirt, and, and molded it together and breathed life into it. We are literally dust and ash. Last thing I say at a funeral service at the graveside is ashes to ashes and dust to dust. We are, in fact, I think this is great. This is something that jumped out at me and made me excited this week. We are literally all balls of dirt walking around. And the only thing that makes us special or other is the spirit of God living in us and the truth of his gospel that transforms us. And if we understand that, that all of us are dirt balls, makes it a little easier to scatter the seed to anyone that will take it, doesn't it? Because the only thing that makes the dirt worthwhile is the plants that grow from it and produce. And for us, that only happens through seeds of the gospel. Jesus says, hey, go out, and if anyone is worthy, if anyone at all will hear you, you don't, and for the apostles, like, it's even better, it's even bigger. Like, they don't get to walk around and say, I want to stay in that house. He's like, hey, if you walk into a town and someone's willing to receive you, then you go stay there. It's not just about the gospel. It's actually about where they were to stay. Jesus told the disciples and, and those listening on the Sermon on the Mount that gave a prohibition against judging. He says, judge not so that you won't be judged. But the point of that passage is not about the assessments we make of others. The point of that passage is what follows where Jesus talks about the, the application and allocation of mercy. Give to others as you want God to give to you. And the same is true with our giftings and the gospel. We should be giving it to others as the way that, in the same manner that we hope God gives his grace to us. We are to be trees that produce fruit and scatter seed of grace everywhere we go. To whoever will receive. Now if, it's laid, if what's laid down isn't picked up, there comes a time where we've got to shake off the dust and move to more acceptable real estate. As the great Taylor Swift so eloquently said, when the haters start to hate, 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 we've just got to shake, 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 shake it off. I want everybody to know that she stole it from Jesus. Jesus said it first. Now, in verses 12 through 15, it's not that they're rejecting us, but it's Christ himself they're rejecting. This is why it's problematic. 
It's the ultimate sin. It's the only one that results in final condemnation. It's the rejection of Jesus and the salvation that comes by grace through faith. Now, this doesn't mean necessarily that God is done with them. I want to give a caveat. There comes a point where we've got to understand that we have offered grace, and we've offered grace, and we've scattered seed, and we've scattered seed, and we are trying to point to Jesus, but they are just not ready to receive it yet. This is not meaning that we have permission at that point to shake it off and and to write that person off completely. Because it may come a point in time where that soil is broken up. It might be that that soil just needs to be moved and, and, and worked a little bit. And God will work that heart and they'll receive the seed. We're to scatter and, and hope that it takes root. But there are times where, where it, is, it is clear and evident that that person is not ready. At that point, we need to stop fighting a battle that is losing. At that point, all we're doing is causing harm. And there comes a time where we shake the dirt off and we move on to someone who will receive it. And we've got to learn to, learn, learn to discern that truth. If the soil won't take the seed, shake it off and find a new patch. But our assumption is to be that they will take it. Now again, throughout this passage, the thing that Jesus makes abundantly clear is that it will not be easy. Hear me, Jesus never said that it would be easy. This is something I have to come back to early and often, both for you and for my own sake. Because we get into the mold where things get difficult and we think that Jesus has abandoned us. We think that God has failed us. When things go wrong and we think that God somehow has forgotten his promises to us. And that's not true. Jesus never promises us as his followers that things will get easier. As a matter of fact, Jesus told many of his followers, you're going to die for this. And Jesus warned over and over and over and over again, you need to be ready, even in this text. Jesus says, you got to take up your cross and follow me. You've got to be willing to lose your life to receive it. That is what we do as we come to Christ. It It is us not just receiving the gospel, but us giving our very lives to Christ. What task worth doing is easy? The same is true with sharing the gospel. Serving Jesus and sharing his grace will bring struggles. Jesus was terrible at marketing. Right? If Jesus was alive today, all of the church growth experts would be like, brother, you've got to do better at brand building. This is not a good brand. You are not very seeker sensitive. Jesus does not paint a rosy picture for his disciples, does he? I read it for you. You can go back and look at it. But at every turn, it is there's going to be difficulty. There's going to be difficulty. Your family's going to turn against you. Your community members are going to turn against you. People will understand and will reject you. There's going to be difficulties. Jesus provides a list of illustrations and experiences defined by struggle and suffering. First, Jesus says, hey, I'm sending you out like sheaves to the, sheep to the, the wolves. That's not awesome, right? It's like sending dinner to the dinner table. It's sending out creatures of peace and innocence to a world full of creatures of violence who will literally seek to eat us alive. But Jesus encourages the disciples to keep their heads clear about what is coming, to be aware that it's coming at them but innocent in their response to the hardships. 
Brothers and sisters, we've got to stop being surprised when the world fails to understand and accept the message of the gospel. We've got to stop acting like this is out of the ordinary when the powers of the world stand actively against the truth of the message of the gospel. Jesus said this is what is going to happen. And in every age, from the time of the Romans to the time of right now, there are those in this world who misunderstand, misconstrue, and actively stand against the truth. Our job is not to stand against them and to try to use their tools. Our job is not to try to manipulate political powers or to use physical violence or to push back using their methodology. We are, in fact, living sacrifices. Our job is to stand firm underneath the pressure, to hold true to the expectation of the gospel, to graciously but firmly speak the truth. And to trust God to do what God alone can do. Jesus promised in John 16.33 that in this world you will have trouble. And the only way we have peace is not through accruing and accumulating power. How do we find power as the followers of Jesus in a world that turns against us? Through the power and presence of the Spirit of God. I leave you my peace. If they mocked and attacked Jesus, we shouldn't be surprised when they do the same to those he stands. Standing firm in this context does not mean active resistance or returning fire. The wording used indicates patient endurance. Standing firm is not an an active attack back at those who are attacking us. It is a patient endurance. You know why we patiently endure? Because it is not we who fight the battle, but the battle is the Lord's. And brothers and sisters, God is working. God is moving. And it may seem the world is going haywire and it's been spinning out of control since we screwed up in the garden. But God is still moving and he's keeping things moving in the direction they need to go. Do we trust him? Are we willing to wait on the Lord? Or do we feel the need through our own strength and power to push our own agendas? May we trust to God and continue to stand firm as sheep amongst wolves, wise and perceptive as snakes, but as innocent and gentle as doves. Our job is to water Christ's plants until he returns. It's what it comes down to here at the end. Anyone who welcomes, welcomes you welcomes me. Anyone who, who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Now I want to be clear that, that the little children are us. Right? We are the little children that are dealing with a difficulty and are receiving something positive. Our reward is not necessarily fame and fortune. Our reward is not necessarily everything going according to plan. Our reward is that God will continue to care for us as we care for the world. And you know what our reward ultimately is going to be? 
It is not going to be financial windfall. I know that there are those that God may bless you with that. God may bless you with incredible prosperity. But the reward we should be looking for as we spread the seed of the gospel is not some physical thing that we get back. It shouldn't be comfort. It shouldn't be ease. Instead, our goal is to see people transformed and changed by the truth of the gospel. It is seeds that take root. Because the truth is, that is the only thing we get to take with us. All of our possessions will be left behind. Even if we are, are arrogant enough to have them buried with us, saying, hey man, my kids ain't getting this stuff. It's too good. Much too good for children. You can have it all buried that you want to. You know what? We'll work that out. But it's not getting into glory. It's going to rot in the dirt. Right along with your bag of dirt. That is you. The only thing that we take with us into heaven into eternity is souls transformed by the gospel. And the only way we're going to see that happen is by scattering seed, by caring for the field, by watering Christ's plants whom he loves. Our aim is not to elevate ourselves, to advance our own priorities, to, to seek authority or notoriety in the world. Our aim should always be to help people receive Jesus. Mission is the vision. Say it with me. Mission is the vision. One more time. Mission is the vision. Our vision is to share Jesus with the world. We just sang it. And I am convinced that that's the greatest reward we could have is going out as missionaries into the world, spreading the seeds of gospel, receiving them ourselves, and growing in grace. Jesus didn't promise it would be easy, but he did promise us that he will give us the ability and he has given us the authority. Will we act upon it? Will we go out into the world, into our backyard? Will we start where we are and see God do something amazing? Because I believe that God is always working. The question is, will we seek and join him where that's happening? May that be true of us. May we go out into the world and look for where Christ is working. And whatever hardships may come, may we push through it and stand firm, knowing that God will bring a reward of a harvest through our efforts. Father God, I pray that you would work in and through us by your grace. God, I pray that you would work and move in miraculous ways to bring people to salvation by grace through faith. Lord, use us as workmen and workwomen in your field. Lord, use us as, as conduits of your grace that share your love. Lord, may you truly be enough for us. May your gospel and the transformative power of your grace do a work in our hearts. And may it be so powerful that we cannot keep it to ourselves. May it spread and make a huge impact in Jackson County, in Bartholomew County, and beyond. Lord, we offer you ourselves today in Jesus' name. Amen.